I think you should change your mind on something every so often. I think that's important. I think it's good to reevaluate your thoughts and what you do and what you believe in and what you don't believe in and reevaluate that once in a while. I think that's a very important thing. And I think a lot of people are doing that right now, which is why this is top of mind for me. I think COVID made a lot of people reevaluate their lives, reevaluate what they're doing with their, you know, who their friends are, their relationship with family, their job, their the city they live in, you know, you've seen this mass exodus of people leaving from California to Texas or to Colorado or to just like the countryside. Um, and you see people just changing their minds on stuff like questioning beliefs that they have or the way they're living their life. I think that's good. I think everyone should do that more often. I try to do that. It's tough because it's like you have to try to recognize what are the thought patterns that I'm stuck in? Like, what do I believe? Uh, like hardcore believe and then figure out like if that's the right way to think about things, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I think especially with, with people's jobs, I think that's a big one. You're like, oh, okay, I'm in this career. All right. I'm a shelf stocker at Kroger. Okay. And I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm good at it. And then COVID comes along and you probably didn't lose your job if you work at Kroger, but you think, all right, is this really the right thing for me to be doing? Should I be doing this? Other people are doing other stuff. People are quitting. They're getting new jobs in different industries. They're trying something. And I think that's good. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're questioning what you're doing, then like, like we get, we get caught in the things we're doing because it's comfortable for us and because we get used to that routine. And if you've been working at the same job for 10 years at Kroger, stocking baked beans every day, uh, you are used to it. And so you get good at it. But like, is that really what you want to be doing long term? What are your hopes, dreams, aspirations? What do you believe in? Have you always wanted to try being an accountant at H&R Block? Now, I would say, hey, hey, maybe that sounds boring. Maybe, maybe have a dream of something else. But if that's your dream, that's your dream. Um, and so you should change your mind on stuff, like challenge your own thinking and your own thoughts. You know, one of my life mottos is like, be uncomfortable. Um, you only grow as a person when there's discomfort in your life and when you, um, put yourself in situations that you're not usually familiar with. And I think one of the best ways to practice that is like, you know, considering what, how you approach life on a daily basis. Maybe it's your religion. Maybe you've been, um, Buddhist your whole life. Maybe you've been uh, Muslim your whole life. Maybe you've been Catholic or Christian your whole life. And then, or maybe you're like a witch. <laughs> you're like a palm reader. You're super into spirituality and astrology. Okay. And then you're like, hey, maybe, hey, that's dumb. Maybe I should reconsider that. Maybe I should look at other options. But a lot of people don't want to do that. They're because they're, they're, they're closed minded and it's comfortable to think that you're correct in what you're doing. And I think actually religion's a good example for this. I'm not telling you to have some existential crisis and like leave your religion, but question it. Question why you believe it, because a lot of us were brought up in that. And I think this is a good example. You brought up in something, and if you don't challenge yourself to believe anything else, um, you're going to get caught in that way of thinking forever. And then you don't really fully understand why you believe that thing. You've just done it because that's the way you've always done it. And I think a lot of the reason why a lot of people are super religious. Um, is because it gives them comfort in life 
because it lets them know that we have all the answers. All the answers are right here in front of us, okay? You know, with the Christianity example, I'll use that because I'm Christian. Um, like, Jesus Christ came down to earth, and he preached and stuff, and he walked on water and had banging parties at awesome weddings and stuff. Uh, and then he died for our sins for some reason, which I, I still don't fully understand that. Why did God have to send down his son to be brutally murdered and hung from a cross when he's God? He can do literally whatever he wants. He, could, he couldn't just be like, oh, I saved you. Like, dude, you're the one who created this world and people. And you're like, oh, I'm, well, original sin was created. I wonder who did that. Got to send down my son to be brutally murdered to save you guys. And I did it for you. Like, that's kind of... <laughs> That's kind of guilt tripping us, so I don't, I don't really fully understand the logic there, um, of why he sent someone down. But back to my original point, I don't want to get on tangents too quickly here. <laughs> uh, you, Christians and Catholics believe, okay, then he saved us, all right, and then you're going to heaven after that. So we're saved. You have to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and then you go to heaven, and that's what happens when you die because death is a freaky thing. Death's scary. You die, and I mean, it's it's a much better a nicer thought to think, oh, when you die, something happens instead of nothing happens. That wouldn't be very fun if we just were taught, hey, when you die, nothing happens. Hey, when you die, nothing happens. And that's it. It's just like Game of Thrones. Like when Jon Snow comes back, they're like, what happened when you died? He's like, nothing, just blackness. Ugh, that's a macabre way to look at the world. But I think what religion does is it gives people answers to those questions that we don't have the answers to, which is why it's so appealing for people. It helps you know that you're going on the right path or at least gives you some kind of compass to follow in life. And I think some of the tenets of Christianity are really good, you know, like love your neighbor as yourself. Don't kill people. Uh, don't steal. Uh, don't commit adultery. All those things. All right. Great. That's a good compass to have for life. And so I think that's why it's attractive to a lot of people. That's why religion is attractive, because it gives you answers for things that, frankly, we don't have answers to. I think it's okay to just be like, uh, we don't know. We have no idea. And this is actually something, it bothers me with science, too. It bothers me with, with religion, but it also bothers me with science. of like, hey, we have every answer. Every answer is just here. It's here for you. We know everything. It's kind of arrogant to be like, hey, we have the answers for everything. I remember being in school. I went to Catholic school, and... Um, uh, you'd ask the teacher a question about, like, how do we know there's an afterlife? How do you know that there's a purgatory? It's never mentioned in the Bible. Or, like, how do we know there's a hell? It's never specifically mentioned in the Bible. How do we know it's fire and brimstone and, like, you burn forever? And they would go about these, like, these weird, verbose answers, not really answering your question, but, like, coming up with, like, the box response of what you're supposed to say when a kid asks you that. And that always kind of bugged me. Like, it's okay to say, hey, we don't know, dude. We're guessing. Christ hasn't been on earth for a long time. Hey, dude, it's been 2,000 years, by the way. You think you think you could peek your head in? I think I said this last week, so sorry if I'm repeating myself. But you think you could peek your head in and just be like, hey, guys, I'm here. This is still real. You can still believe in me. <laughs> I know it's been 2,000 years, generations after generations after generations. I know it might be a little tough to believe now. It must have been so much easier if Jesus was like the Son of God and he actually did perform all these miracles. Let's pretend that's true. And then he was really convincing that, yes, that's definitely the Son of God. And people, it must have been easier for people around them to follow him because they knew, hey, we saw this with our own eyes. They texted each other. Hey, dude, did you see what Christ did? He, the, we were at this wedding. We ran out of booze. Boom, snaps his fingers. We're good to go. Okay. That would have been nice, 
but I think, you know, religion does give people answers to things and that's attractive. So I get why people follow it. I think people follow it to a degree where it's not very healthy. I think in fact that's what I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of Christians are 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 that's cuz that's who I'm surrounded with mostly are are very guilty of this, blindly believing something and then they get kind of defensive when you ask them uh, or challenge their beliefs on something. Um which I don't think is the right response. Like back to my original point, like I think it's good to question those things and have a just have an adult discussion like hey well let's pretend it's not true i know you think it is but let's pretend it's not okay you can apply this to anything any major belief that you have uh any hot button issue you know euthanasia let's pretend we know that it's wrong abortion let's pretend like we know a hundred percent that it's wrong or let's pretend like we know a hundred percent that it's fine up to a certain point whatever like let's just let's use it as a thought experiment and go off of that um, and so you talk to some people about this and they're like, no, because that's not true. And then they just kind of clam up because I think part of it's like, oh, I've known, I've known this to be true my whole life. I can't question that because if I, if I do question it and I go down this road and it ends up being incorrect, then I'm going to have a crisis of identity. So then maybe some people go, you know, 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, and they believe the same thing over and over again. And then you're going to be much less likely to change your mind and be open-minded later on in life, which is why I think it's important to challenge what you think and change your mind on it. It doesn't have to be huge life-changing stuff, by the way. Um, but like I was saying earlier, even with scientists, like one thing that irks me about them sometimes is there's an arrogance with science. Like they pretend like there's, an an there's a scientific answer for everything, which I don't necessarily agree with. And I think the big example there is like the Big Bang. Okay, there's a magic. It's insane when you think about it. The Big Bang, Big Bang is insane when you think about it. Oh, there was nothing. There was nothing in the universe, and just all of a sudden, boop, magically. Oh, hey, the whole universe is here, and it forms perfectly. And the Earth is just far enough away from the sun so that life can exist, and everything's hunky dory and perfect now. And there's no intelligent design. It just magically happened that way. That's what it is. It's just magic. We admit that's a little crazy, and I'm not saying religion's the answer to it. I'm just saying that's an insane thing <laughs> to, to put all your eggs in that basket. The other thing I think of, too, is like, yeah, we understand the laws of physics to be a certain way. And I'm getting deep again, dude. We're, <laughs> I'm getting really dense to start out, but you're locked in now. You have to go with me on this journey because there's no backing out, so you have to keep listening. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, we understand the laws of physics to be what they are. Okay, but like, let's say UFOs are real, hypothetic, not real. Let's let's hypothetically pretend that there's life on other planets, and that's intelligent design in these UFOs that are like coming into our universe, and they're coming out of the oceans, and they're using propulsion systems, or they're using systems to power their machines that aren't based on our understanding of propulsion in physics. Okay, it's using some kind of space-time gravity-bending machine. That's going to screw up our whole understanding of physics and how it works. That means if they did come from another planet 150 light years away, that defies our understanding of physics because in our understanding, we can't travel faster than the speed of light. So it means maybe we wrote the rules a little bit incorrectly or maybe there's something that we missed. Like even th like the example I like, I like to use is like, I don't know if this is even true, so I might be just talking out of my ass here. I mean, I'm talking out of my ass for this whole episode, so that's how this goes. But like... Um, 
like Nikola Tesla's way of uh, like transmitting electricity and stuff like that and, and radio waves and all that stuff. He had a very different under um, uh, idea of how that would work from Edison or whoever it was that he was working with at the time. And we ended up going with the other guy and Nikola Tesla stuff didn't end up happening, becoming mainstream. But what if it did? Maybe we would have a different understanding of how things work in different technologies if we did use that example. Does that make sense? Sorry, I'm talking out of my ass so much right now. Um, so it's like, we're, we're just, we're basing things off of what we've built thus far. And so we've built up this huge tower of information based on this building block that we created ourselves. So what if our building block started on something different? What if our building blocks for how we understand the world and understand physics and science was built on something different with a different understanding of it? That's all I'm saying. And there might be some scientists listening to this. Which, by the way, if there's a scientist listening to this, I'm sorry. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just, hey, I'm just spitballing here, dude. Um, could the world be different in that way? So, I don't know. I, just, I feel like there's an attitude amongst a lot of people that there's just an arrogance like, hey, I know everything. Because that's what gives us comfort. And you don't want to challenge how you believe things. This is why I think open-mindedness is so important and being uncomfortable is so important. Because we need to constantly be evolving as a person. You need to constantly be changing. You can't just sit and pretend like everything's always going to be the way that it is. You could have some life crisis events that happen to you. Like using the alien example again. What if aliens came down to Earth tomorrow? That means every major religion is bullshit. That's what that means, dude. Because at least in Christianity, we were created in God's image and likeness, right? That's the belief of, of Christianity. So that's obviously not true if aliens come down, unless they looked exactly like us, and there was a Jesus Christ on their planet too, you know? Like, that would challenge everyone's beliefs, which, by the way, side note, I did read something the other day. I don't know if it's true, but I, I'm pretty sure NASA hired, um, like, scientists and people from all major religions to hire to have, like, a committee to talk about like what the implications would be for each religion if we did discover intelligent life on other planets. Like, how would we handle that? How would humans handle that? And I think that's one of the big things about the conspiracy of why we keep this information um, from the public and why there is a conspiracy. If, if the government was hiding secrets from people, it'd be because we couldn't handle it. There'd be there could be chaos and riots in the streets because everyone's understanding of life would be totally shattered. You know, be like everything I believed is kind of a lie, which I could totally see happening. Which, again, is why it's important to challenge these things and think maybe, hey, it's not correct. Maybe life is just chaos. That's what I think, dude. I think, it's, I think a lot of it's just total chaos. We don't have the answers, and that's fine. We're not supposed to. We are just products of evolution, all right? Um, and that's another theory that we're just – we're guessing that that's true because we have no better theories. We're just guessing that evolution is the correct theory for – why we exist. And if that is true, then we evolved in a certain way where our brains can only understand and perceive this dimension in a specific way that we evolved and interact with the world around us. But there could be all this other stuff going on that we just can't perceive, other colors, other entities, if you want to get deep, all these other things that could be in this plane that we just can't perceive with our five senses. Because we just evolved a certain way and our, brain, our brains are receivers of this information in a way that we evolved, if that makes sense. I'm getting hippie and weird, but like, this is my point. Like, let's pretend that there is no, like, 100% right way to approach these things and approach life. Give yourself some, some crisis. Have these thoughts, thought experiments. 
You know, my brother Mike wrote a really good article on Medium, by the way, a couple months ago, I think, at this point. Mike Thomas on Medium. I don't know. Go to his um, Instagram if you want to read it. It's at Michael Thomas, please. Hi, Mike. Um, but he was talking about, like, um, mentally preparing for tragedy, like mentally preparing for, like, a death in the family or a death of a loved one, something that um, – would be that would shake your world, right? Uh, Michael Thomas, please. Medium. Com, um, and he his his point essentially is you need to you need to th- you, you it's, it's it's good to think about these things and prepare your mind for how you would react in that situation because odds are you're going to have tragedy in your life. How are you going to respond to it? How are you going to um? Are you going to adapt to the world after that? You know, he says, treat emotions like skills. Um, He says, I'll read from his article a little bit, give him a nice little plug here. We spend hours, days, and even years practicing hard skills, preparing for the difficult situations that necessitate the possession of that skill. Most of us don't spend any time at all, however, practicing for simulations that, situations that are difficult emotionally. None so as little in death and tragedy. Why is that? If you take someone who's never golfed before and give them a golf club, put them on a golf course and ask them to play, it will, of course, be a disaster. They've never done it before. Their muscles are not accustomed to the proper body position in relation to the ball, the small nuances of pressure flowing through the fingers along the grip, or the mechanics of the swing. You would never ask someone who knows nothing about golf to compete at the highest level, like in the Masters. If you did, it would be a disaster. Yet we have we do little to no active preparation for quote-unquote the Masters of our emotional lives. For example, the death or even severe suffering of loved ones. Can we expect anything except utter misery and dejection when the moment comes? One might argue that even though we don't act, practice actively for tragedy, we all accumulate experiences through our lives to a varying degree that helps us prepare ourselves passively by necessity. We hear about death all the time after all. Blah, blah, blah. You guys can can read the rest of this. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, article, and he, um, he, I think he sums it up well. Like, like It kind of relates to my point now, too, which is, like, prepare yourself not only for that, but, like, prepare yourself for other things. Like, be open-minded. Pre- pretend that your outlook on life isn't correct. Um, and change your mind on stuff. Like, just be open-minded. I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's just people in my life lately who I've witnessed who are just super closed-minded to certain things. And when you try to bring up those things to those people, they don't... Um, they don't want to talk about it or they don't want to have have their status quo challenged because they're happy with the way that their life is. And look, I, I want everyone to be happy. I want everyone to to have joy in their life. Sorry, this isn't very funny today, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, you, you should be trying to better yourself every single day. And one way to do that um, is by challenging your beliefs. Try to change your mind on something. Find things to change your mind on. And that starts with having an open mind. When someone brings up something that you disagree with, try to see it from their perspective. Try to see it from their point of view and why they would believe that. And like actually put yourself in their shoes. You know? I think it's just, uh, it's a skill. You do. You have to practice it every so often. Um, And a lot of people don't. I think most people don't. We get caught up in our lives. We get caught up in our jobs stocking baked beans at Kroger. That's what we do. We stock baked beans at Kroger. We want to be an accountant at H&R Block. I don't know why you'd want that job, but that's what you do. And then you get caught up in the rhythm of every day, and it feels comfortable to you. And then let's say you get laid off, 
and you're like, oh shit, what do I do now? I, now I'm realizing that job didn't give a fuck about me, dude. That job didn't matter. I was dispensable. Um, I was just, uh, I was just going along with the flow because it was easy for me. But like, become be comfortable with discomfort. Become comfortable with discomfort. And it's a weird kind of oxymoron, but like, hey, dude. I'm philosopher Matt today. <laughs> um, one interesting thing that also kind of like sparked this for me was uh, I read today that Shia LaBeouf uh, converted to Catholicism after uh, preparing for his upcoming role in this Padre Pio movie, which I'll get into in a second because I have some thoughts. Uh and let's see if I can find an article. Yeah, actor, I had something pulled up. Actor Shia LaBeouf said he converted to Christianity while shooting his upcoming film, Padre Pio, has become a member of the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, LaBeouf revealed this conversation um, in the podcast with Catholic Ministries Bishop Robert Barron, blah, blah, blah. The actor first engaged with the church while living in with the monastery of the Franciscan Capuchin Friars in order to better understand the late mystic, Padre Pio, who LaBeouf portrays in the upcoming movie. Heading into the project, he said it was the darkest point in his life after a series of public scandals. He was drawn to spirituality and joined a variety of faith groups to find meaning, fighting thoughts of helplessness and suicide. Um, I had a gun on the table. I was out of here, he recalled in a 90-minute interview. I didn't want to be alive anymore, and when all this happened, shame like I had never experienced before, the shame like you forgot how to breathe. You don't know where to go. You can't go outside and get, like, a taco. But I was also in this deep desire to hold on. Um he found faith during his research by surprise, said that the film was focused on his career, not God. Blah, blah, blah. All right, I don't want to read the whole thing. I'm going to put you to sleep. Um, so he converted to Christian or Catholicism, all right? To me, weird move that late in life, especially someone like him. But, like, he challenged his beliefs. Hey, I don't know if he was religious before, but it seems like he found meaning in this thing. So good for you, dude. That's awesome. If you, you found something that gives you meaning and um, helps you keep going on through life, more power to you to question the way you're living things. Now, I think one thing that a lot of people are doing right now, and what people tend to do in general, is like they can overcorrect a little bit when you're looking for meaning. I'm this, this move makes sense to me for someone like him because he uh, was an actor, right? Uh, lived a really glamorous lifestyle. I'm sure he was very philanderous, okay? He was he, he had many women at every port he stopped in. Um, growing up in Hollywood, probably a lot of drinking drugs. You get used to that. It becomes a little meaningless after a while, and you're looking for something more. He probably also doesn't have a great support group, a great family, I would guess. A lot of these people don't. They, they're from smaller families, and then your family also probably gets corrupted when you become famous, and they're just looking to get things out of you the bigger you get. And he's a pretty big star. So he's looking for meaning, and he found something in the Catholic Church. All right, fine. But, like, I, that, hey, dude, you're following my advice. <laughs> uh, you're, you're joining something because you challenged your beliefs. You challenged the current way that you were living your life. And it sounds like he kind of had to. It sounds like he was in a, a dark time. So everyone convert to Catholicism. That will help. No, that's not what I mean. But I think a lot of people are kind of looking towards that now. Like, it's like the cool thing to do. I think we, the pendulum just keeps swinging back and forth. You know, people will reject God and they come back to a God and, and some kind of structure and meaning in life. And that's an easy one to glob onto, I think. Like I said, the tenets of Christianity are, are good. 
I think. I think people can take it a little too seriously sometimes, and then they shove it down your throat like evangelical Christians. I can't stand. Everything's about God or Christ or Jesus. Dude, keep it to yourself. I'm fine. I know there's some people who aren't fine, but find meaning in the things that you find meaning and do what works for you. I don't need some guy, you know, Pastor John, to tell me about the miracle of Christianity, okay? I don't need that. I'm not interested in that. I'm fine. I'm living my life great, peachy keen. Um, and so I think what prompted it was this movie that he's doing, which is interesting, by the way. So let me, talk, let me talk about that for a second real quick. So you guys are probably wondering, what the hell, who the hell's Padre Pio? Some of you might already know. Weird dude. <laughs> weird story. Weird dude, weird story. So I was actually talking to my sister about this the other day because it is hilarious. Like these, I know all these weird Catholic Christian things uh, <laughs> because I grew up in that. So there's a lot of weird um, things and weird people you know about. St. Padre Pio is a, a strange one to me. Um, so let me find, see if I can find a quick biography on Padre Pio because it gets really wild. Um, my mom had books on him and stuff. Apparently, he was great. I think my grandpa loves him, too, for some reason. Uh, <laughs> we're already getting weird. Go to his Wikipedia page. Padre Pio became famous for exhibiting stigmata for most of his life, thereby generating much interest and controversy. So stigmata is um, it's where you get the wounds of Christ, like, on your hands. I don't know, dude. I don't know if, like, apparently it just appears. Um. Reported cases of stigmata take various forms. Many show some or all of the five holy wounds that were the holy wounds. Like, uh, everything's holy this and holy that. Which reminds me, like, Christians call it, it's the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost. Dude, the name Holy Ghost is hilarious. The fact we call it the Holy Ghost is like, ooh, ooh, it's a ghost, but it's holy. Ooh, it prays a lot. Ooh, it's the Holy Ghost. Ooh. Like, we don't think to say, like, to, we don't think, we don't think about that. Or like even with Mary, like the Blessed Virgin Mary. Oh, she was a virgin. Like bad branding. Oh, what a virgin. The Blessed Virgin Mary. Why are we bringing her sexuality into it every time we talk about her? Just, I don't know. Weird things like that in Catholicism and Christianity. It's weird to me. Okay. Holy Ghost, whatever. Holy wounds. Everything's holy. Sorry. Tangent city today, but I'm going to keep going. Um... Uh, according to the Bible, the holy wounds were inflicted on Jesus during his crucifixion, wounds in the wrists and feet from nails and in the side from a lance. Some stigmatics display wounds on the forehead similar to those caused by the crown of, crown of thorns. Others reported um, forms including tears of blood or sweating blood and wounds to the back from scourging. Uh, many stigmata show recurring bleeding that stops and then starts at times after receiving Holy Communion. Significant proportion of stigmatics have shown a strong desire to receive Holy Communion frequently. Relatively high percentage of stigmatics also exhibit anedia. I don't know what that is. Uh, claiming to live with minimal or no food or water for long periods of time, except for the Holy Eucharist. Okay, we're getting weird now, guys. Some exhibit weight loss. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> a closer investigation often reveals evidence of fakery. There we go. There we go. Some stigmatics claim to feel the pain of wounds with no external marks. These are referred to as invisible stigmata. Oh, how convenient. They're invisible. Um, some stigmatic wounds do not appear to clot, and some stay fresh and uninfected. Uh, the blood from the wounds is said to, in some cases, have a pleasant perfumed odor, known as the odor of sanctity. And now here's where we continue to get weird. I'll get into that in a second. 
Um, so Padre, Padre Pio was like the super holy priest, okay? Um, I guess he was really mean, too. Um, I, wish I, I wish there was like a, a shorter thing I had to say. Padre Pio, short bio. Let's see if I can just find something real quick. Um, yeah, he's Italian. Um, he consecrated himself to Jesus at age five. Oh, wow. What a mature five-year-old. Um, this guy was like kind of crazy. So he was um, born in 1887. His whole life was marked by long hours of prayer and uh, continual austerity. Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, made a house for the suffering, was inspired to be blessed by God. Um this isn't a very good. Oh, a lot of people were. Oh, yeah, he used to give confessions a lot and like scream at people for being bad people, which doesn't sound like a nice thing to do. Um, confessions when you say your sins to a priest, it's weird. I know. Anyways, this guy, Roger Pio, they're making a movie on him. All right, now let's get into the <laughs> the odor of sanctity because this is another weird thing about him. So, where are we here? Uh,. There's one thing about Padre Pio that I remember from being a kid, which as a kid, you, you believe in Santa Claus and like the tooth fairy and all that stuff. So I might as well believe in Padre Pio, too, because like they say some crazy stuff. Like there's some saints who have like they're they're incorruptible, like their bodies don't decay after they die. OK, seems a little strange. I'm sure something went in there where they embalmed them too much or something. I don't know. But one of the weird things was the phenomenon of biolocation from Padre Pio. Essentially, he would just show up in like people's different places and people would report him in being in two different areas at once cuckoo sounds a little weird all right his appearances on various of the continents are attested by numerous eyewitnesses who either saw him or smelled the odors characteristically <laughs> associated with his presence described by some as roses and by others tobacco <laughs> is itself well established in Padre Pio's case the odor was especially strong coming from the blood of his wounds. Investigation showed that he used absolutely no fragrances or anything that could produce these odors. These odors often occurred when people called upon his intercession and prayer and continue to this day. Couple things here, guys. <laughs> Couple things. First of all, stigmata. What is that? How do we know he wasn't just cutting himself? This guy seems like if you're that devout to God and you want people to believe you and believe that it's the word of God, who's to say you're not faking this? That's all I'm saying. That's the only logical thing I can say. I never saw his wounds. I never saw – I wasn't there. We don't have people like this anymore. It's convenient that this happened 100 years ago when it was easier to trick everyone else. Um, stigmata photos. Let's see if there's photos of it. Um, oh, there is. Gross. You can look these up on your own. Just type in Padre Pio stigmata. I don't know if this is real. Doesn't really look super real. His body also might be incorruptible. I don't know. I'm on so many different tangents right now, dude. But yeah, the odor of sanctity. Like, dude. So they smelled? His wounds smelled? That's the best part. He would be biolocating. He'd be in one place. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm, I'm here for afternoon tea with you. And then he's in another place, like, saying mass. And people are like, hey, you saw Padre Pio last night at 7 p.m.? I saw Padre Pio last night at 7 p.m. Is he biolocating? <laughs> They're like, how'd you know it was Padre? He's like, well, he smelled. He smelled. He smelled. Was it bad? No, he smelled like roses, and it smelled like he smoked like four cigars. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny. But the odor being like tobacco, dude, are you sure he didn't just smoke a lot? Why are we calling that the odor of sanctity? <laughs>
The phenomenon of odor. Dude, by the way, could you name two more generic, like, smells? Roses and tobacco? <laughs> no, dude, he must be he must be biolocating. He must have stigmata. And he must be super holy because he smelled like roses and tobacco. Like, what are we doing? What are we believing in here, dude? It's funny. I'm sorry. It's funny. Sorry if you're Catholic and listening to this and you're like, Matt, you're being so disrespectful. That's funny, dude. He smelled like roses and tobacco. And he would biolocate and his he had wounds on his hands all the time. <sighs> Padre Pio incorruptible full body uh padre pio acquired oh according to a book published in 2007 he acquired carbolic acid from a local pharmacist that may have been used to create his wounds his body was displayed on march 3rd of 2008 uh <laughs> the local bishop said, when the tomb was open, there was no unpleasant smell. When I asked the doctors for an explanation, they told me it was up for me to provide an answer, not them. Ooh. Uh, this is weird, dude. I mean, the deeper you go into this, the weirder it is. Like, they call him a mystic friar. I don't know. This is bizarre. Anyways, that's who Shia LaBeouf is playing, okay? He's an incorruptible body, stigmata wounds, he was mean to people during confessions, he could biolocate, and he smelled like cigarettes. <laughs> Padre Pio's odor of sanctity, yay! Anyways, what was I talking about before I got derailed by Padre Pio? Weird dude. <laughs> Wild character. Do some research on him. It's a funny hoot. Um... So I guess that's what made Shia LaBeouf convert to Catholicism was he did a lot of research on him. And hey, more power to you. If you lived with these guys, he's like, hey, these priests are nice. They're cool dudes. I'm living with them. Gives me some meaning. I'll convert. I'll change my mind. So good. Change your mind. Not what I would really choose, but if that's the meaning you're looking for, that's the meaning you're looking for. And this is what I'm saying. I think a lot of people right now are looking for meaning in different ways. They're looking. We had the shakeup, the COVID shakeup, the old, the old CS, COVID shakeup. That's what we call it. And COVID made COVID. There was a lot of positives for people with COVID. A lot of negatives too. But if you it made you rethink your life at all, and you did some positive changes in your life, it seems like that's positive for him. Seems like Shia LaBeouf was a little suicidal, and now he's not. So hey, dude, good for you. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad you're doing better. It's good news. So that's my point. Change your mind on stuff every once in a while. You might like it. So I'm trying to think of anything I've changed my mind on in a while. Because if I, Now if I can't think of an example, it's going to ruin the whole episode. But I know there's, there's got to be something, right? I don't know. I'm changing my mind on stuff all the time. Like, are aliens real? <laughs> are they not real? Does, re is re does religion matter? Does it lead to a good life 100% for everybody or not? I don't know. I've, I've become more unsure of that in recent years and even recent weeks because of certain people that I know who aren't living up to Christian values. <laughs> <laughs> listen to last week's episode if you haven't yet um like yeah maybe maybe that maybe that all doesn't matter maybe it's just uh you live your life the best way you can because what about people who don't have religions 
A lot of religion talk today. I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> what about people who don't have religions? What, if, what about people who weren't baptized in the Catholic Church? I think the Catholic Church and Christian Christianity still teaches you still go to heaven if you never knew Catholicism. Let's say you lived on in, on an island in Madagascar, right? And you never is Madagascar an island? I don't know. Let's pretend it is. If you never knew that Christianity was a thing and you died, but you lived a good life, would you still go to heaven? I think the answer is yes to that. So why do why why do why do I have to like live my life by all these strict sets of rules and stuff? And um. Like uh, rigid ideologies, uh, when other people didn't do that, and they they were ended up being perfectly happy and fine. I don't know. Seems a little unfair <laughs> to me, but that is what it is. Um, let's pivot. Sorry, I've been talking too much about odor of sanctity and Vajray Pio and uh, deep stuff. But today's Beth's birthday. I don't know. I don't know why I'm thinking about this stuff today. Today's British Beth's birthday. It's today's British Beth's birthday. It's British Beth's birthday, mate. That's what we're doing, eh? Celebrating a birthday. So text her, follow her on Instagram, tell her hi. Tell her to come back on this show again soon. I need a guest soon. I need a guest soon. Um, I'm back, baby. This is my second week in a row doing it. You guys thought I was gone forever, but I'm not. I'm right here. And we're going to continue this going. Even though my I left my nice camera on a plane, which is why the video quality here is not very good. So I can't do green screen stuff. My computer's pretty much broken. So we're working on <laughs> little tiny bits of technology right now. And I'm doing my very best. But it's hard. But I'm still doing it. But it's hard. Um, did you guys hear about that guy who tested positive for monkeypox, COVID, and HIV at the same time? Yeah. Uh an Italian guy, I think. Um, he had like a sore throat, fever, whatever, uh, after being in Spain, I want to say, for a couple days, <laughs> having a romp in the hay with lots of people. Um, and he tested positive for all the three bad boys, three things you don't want to get coming back from a sex-fueled vacation. Um, so practice safe sex, people. Um, I mean, do what you want. That doesn't seem very Catholic to me or Christian. This guy probably not very religiously oriented. Um, but be careful out there, folks. Accept the consequences of your actions. Let's see. Uh, article here. Uh, the patient, 36-year-old Italian man, developed a fever, sore throat, fatigue, headache, and inflammation of the groin area about nine days after returning from a five-day trip to Spain, where he, during which he had sex with men without a condom. The man tested positive for coronavirus three days after the symptoms appeared, according to a case report published in the Journal of Infection. The Journal of Infection. Dude, imagine working there. Where do you work? I work at the Journal of Infection. <laughs> what do you do there? I study infections. I write about infections. Imagine how what a gross job that is. <laughs> With all the stories that come across your desk. Um, the man also suffered from COVID-19 in January, which he came just weeks after being vaccinated. Within hours of testing positive, a rash appeared on his left arm and blisters spread across his body in a few days, which prompted him to go to the emergency room. Um, a series of tests in the hospital came back from monkeypox, COVID-19, and HIV. Wow. The man was released from the hospital after nearly a week and recovered from COVID-19 and monkeypox, although a small scar remained. Well, guess what? You got HIV now, so that's one thing. Not great, dude. That's, uh, that's a rough trip, I would say. <laughs> Coming back with COVID is bad enough. Coming back with monkeypox is really bad. Coming back with HIV, that's the, you just hit a the triple whammy right there, which is not good. 
But hey, he's living his he's living his best life, man. He's going to Spain having a blast. Sounds like he had a great time. <laughs> um, I'm at 40 minutes. Look at me going for 40 minutes. But I don't even know what I've talked about this episode. I've kind of just blacked out and been <laughs> screaming at you guys about Padre Pio's order order of sanctity and preaching to you guys about how you should live your life. You know what we haven't done in a while? We haven't gone to Reddit. Let's end with a Reddit thing because I feel like that'll add some humor and fun to the end of the episode before we go for the day. And I'll see you guys next week. So here's a good one. Uh, my, we're running over to Reddit now, guys. I've switched gears so quickly you don't even know, all right? That's how we do things. It's called a transition. It's called, it's called pivoting, which is what I do. Uh, my 28 boyfriend of six years doesn't know if he wants to marry me. She's a 28 female. Should I stay? Boyfriend and I have been, been together for six years, work our day jobs together, and also run a side business together. He's my best friend, and despite managing to get past and through a lot together, he hasn't proposed. His family's starting to pressure us to get married, but he said he hasn't decided yet. He said that he wants to get married and have a ton of kids. So what he means is he hasn't decided if he wants to marry me. My ego's a little hurt. What else does he need to know that he hasn't already learned in almost seven years? Is indecision the same thing as a decision in this case? We both started therapy separately very recently to work through some trauma and cope with anxiety. I don't know if I should wait to see if he'll come to some kind of epiphany in therapy or if I should leave and save the decision for him. I love him a lot, and for a long time I saw a future with him. But recently I'm starting to accept signs that he just doesn't love me as much as I love him. How do I know if he loves me or if he just doesn't want to be alone? This is the easiest answer on earth. Break up with him. That's it, dude. Six years you've been with this loser and he doesn't know if he wants to marry you? Dude, you should know in a year and a half. You should know in a year. I knew in eight months. That's how quickly I moved. Now, I'm the exception, not the rule. I'm a quick decision maker and I'm smart as shit, dude. <laughs> I just got married. So I'm going to give lots of marriage advice on this show now because I'm an expert. But I'm sorry, dude. Six years is way too long to be with someone and not know if you want to marry him. So you got to shit or get off the pot. That's what we say. Shit or get off the pot. And um, you got to force him to just get off the pot by breaking up with him. That's what you do in a situation like this. Six years is way too long. I can give it up to two years. If you, if maybe you're an indecisive person, all right, two years you could be with someone, but you should, that's the cutoff point. You date someone for two years, go. Especially you, a woman of your age, you're in prime fertile years <laughs> to have kids, okay? You want to start having kids and you want a lot of kids, let's say you do. You probably want to start having them soon. Let's say you want to have five kids. Want to give yourself a nice runway. Um, he's just wasting your time. And I don't like when dudes do this, where they date a woman for a long period of time, they're indecisive, and then the woman just stays with them because it's an easy thing. Again, comfortable decision. And then they waste both of their time, and the woman ends up being the one who gets screwed because she ends up being like 34 years old, and she dated this guy for 10 years, and uh, he just never made the move, which is dumb, and it's unfair. So actually, this ties in really well with my initial point, which is like, change your mind on stuff. Hey, maybe that guy, and that's a tough decision to make, by the way, dude. So it's not easy, but like, that dude you've been with for a long time, it's easy to be comfortable with it and think, hey, we it, this works, we should get married, but like, and like, we've been together, I don't want to start from the ground up all over again, but if you've already talked to him about this and he's not making the move, you got to have that conversation. Stop being afraid to have that conversation. And it sounds like you already know the answer. You're just going online and asking strangers on the internet for advice about something that you know the answer to. You just want validation. So here's the validation for you. Break up with him. 
Find someone else. There's a million other people out there. I think you're compatible with hundreds of thousands of people in the world. If not, maybe millions, dude. There's a lot of people you can marry. It's hard to find them. It's a big world. There's 7 billion people on Earth. It's hard to find them. I know. That's daunting. That's scary. And you've been with this guy for six years, and it's convenient for you. And you're thinking, oh, I don't want to meet someone, and then we start dating again. All right, well, get on it, honey. <laughs> Might take another two years. So stop wasting your time. Six years is a long time, dude, to be with someone and not marry them. Sorry if that's your story, by the way. I'm going to sound like an asshole, but I, that's what I believe. Don't waste your time. Challenge yourself. Challenge your beliefs. Because this this is important. Like, this is important life stuff that you need to confront about with yourself. And it's only going to make life easier in the long run. It's like you got to prepare yourself now. It's like exercising. You got to exercise to feel good for later on in life so that you live longer. All right? I'm going to live forever, dude, because the palm reader I went to a couple weeks ago said I have a really long lifeline on my palm. Now, is that true? Probably not. I don't know why a line on your palm would mean you're going to live a super long time. But that's what she said. And if it is true, guess what? It's, probably, it's because I worked out and I was healthy. And I treated my body like a temple of the Holy Ghost. Ooh, it's the Holy Ghost. Ooh. <laughs> and we need to do the same thing. Because mental shit matters too. The way you prepare yourself for certain situations, the way you prepare yourself in life for tragedy, for love, for existential crises, for beliefs that you've held since you were a little tyke, since you were a little tot, running around your grandma's house in a diaper, eating cookies. That's my point. Sorry, it wasn't very funny this episode. Uh, that's it. I'm back, baby. I'm back. And... um. I'm going to keep coming to you with sage life advice. And maybe I'll have a guest on in the next week or so. I think that would be fun for everybody. This episode's up a little late. I didn't get to record it last night because I'm busy. Because today's Beth's birthday. So happy birthday to my one and only lover, Beth. My wife, which I'm still not used to saying. My wife, Beth. Happy birthday to her. We need to have her again on the show sometime soon. I miss her. Uh, she's out getting her nails done right now. So good for her. Happy birthday, Beth. Happy birthday, Beth. And we'll see you guys next time on the What The Heck Podcast. I love you all very much. Goodbye. See you later. Goodbye.